You're listening to Igniting Imagination, a podcast to spark the spirit within you from Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation. This season, we are sharing conversations about the five adaptive muscles the church must strengthen to be fit, agile, and ready for God's now. For more information about these muscles, visit tmf-fdn.org and click Leadership Ministry. Welcome, friends. I'm Lisa Greenwood, and this is our fourth of six episodes about the adaptive muscles congregations need to strengthen in order to be fit, agile, and ready for God's now. If you haven't heard the previous episodes about the first two muscles, grieving well and discerning purpose, I hope you'll go back and listen because the muscles really are connected. And you might start with the first episode that gives an intro to all five muscles. Today, I'm back with my colleagues, Scott Sharp and Blair Thompson-White. Hi, y'all. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Lisa. I'd love to hear your observations about how the muscles are connected and maybe specifically how our muscle today, which we refer to as walking alongside or neighboring, how does it connect with grief and purpose and, and the other muscles? Yeah, so maybe it is helpful to give like a little uh, short blurb about neighboring as kind of a place to start as we connect it with the other muscles. But neighboring really invites us, when, it gets, when I get down to it, I think it, it really invites us to consider our context in a new way and perhaps a new way, and ask how is, how is God inviting us to, to join what God is already doing in the neighborhood, in our yeah. community. So, um, so it really is an invitation to see our neighbors, to get to know them, to see the gifts and graces God has given them. And, and then from that, how can we work together to be a part of thy kingdom come? right here and now yeah. in our neighborhood? So that's how I understand walking alongside. And um, Scott, what are your thoughts about how it I mean, how it connects with with some of these other muscles. I know you've done some good um, muscle building here. So what what do you think about this? (laughs) Well, it it strikes me that muscles are connected sort of physiologically in terms of their uh, sort of a complementary nature. And I think about that, especially related to grief and walking alongside. Sometimes, you know, Mm. grief before we get to the grieving well is is the absence of something seeing something or missing something, something that's gone. And walking alongside really invites a person to see what's there now. You know, so when you put mm. those th- kind of two muscles together, you're really kind of building the the gap between what we might feel is missing and then finding a revelation of what's new. And I think the beauty of that is that discerning purpose sits right between them. And so that you're kind of in that journey of finding this new kind of, not just quote Star Wars, but a new hope. And uh, you're, you're sort of between what's <laughs> missing and what there is. And maybe we can find some purpose in the middle there. Nice, nice. So, I, you know, building on that, I think when we are in relationship with folks around us, in any relationship, a new one, a relationship that's been around a long time, when we show up with curiosity and really listening and paying attention, that becomes part of our discernment, right? That becomes part of our listening for and seeing the ways that God is speaking to us through one another, through the things that are happening around us, through what is God, what God is doing. And so I, I just think discernment is integrally connected with relationships. Uh, and there's a humility in that, right? And there's yeah. and a mutuality, and that's a word that we we use a lot with this muscle mutuality mm-hmm. um, that we see 
one another. There's a mutual respect and love and that God is present in each of us and we can learn and share from each other. And, and that's walking alongside. And, and right, right as I'm even mentioning that, I mean, you can't say that without recognizing the power dynamic in that. And like what wow. you're saying, Lisa, is that it, there's a distributed power in this space yeah. where, um, where everyone has a voice and everyone is heard. And from that place, the spirit can work and to offer new ideas through people and bring people together. So yeah, I think this conversation, it just goes right alongside our next muscle, which is distributive power. And expanding imagination for what's possible, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's right. true. They are yeah. all connected. Well, Blair, I'm so glad you mentioned humility because even as you began talking about expecting to see God already at work in the world, as opposed to now we're going to bring mm. in God and just the whole notion that, that, I mean, that goes back to sort of the church's sort of darker history about colonialism and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, hearing different people talk about neighboring based in humility and love is really inspiring to me. So Blair, you interviewed Cote Sorens about this walking alongside muscle. Can you tell us a little bit about her? Yeah, so Cote was born in Chile, and I am saying that right, I believe. Chile, right? Are you all with me? I want to make yes. sure. Okay, Chile. Not Chile, like we say in Oklahoma. Um, so Cote <laughs> was born in Chile and uh, came to the United States at age 25. Her entire life and ministry has been focused on neighboring. I mean, <sighs> and, and you can see uh, what we know and, and talk about as asset-based community development or ABCD work. And everything she has done and everything she mm. is doing. So she and her husband, Tim, moved into South Park, Seattle to be a part of the community they wanted to serve and, and really investing not only their time and talent and resources, I mean, but their their whole life to the flourishing of this community. And this, I mean, for me, this is truly incarnational ministry. Mm. She is an amazing example of this. Uh, and so in the neighborhood, she started Resistencia Coffee, which is now a gathering place for neighbors, a source of employment. I mean, they even, they train youth, barista skills and business development. So it's, it is a place where people gather and that empowers people in the community. Uh, so she will share in the interview about how the community came together to literally build out the coffee shop. So again, this is the guiding question for Cote, which is, what are the gifts and resources of our community and how can we work together to better our community? So thus came Resistencia Coffee. And she is the founder of Cultivate South Park, which is this neighbor-led asset-based community development work. Uh, it's a group that's dedicated to identifying, connecting, celebrating the gifts of South Park residents. And, and so what they do is they come together and they start these projects, these initiatives to, to make a more equitable community. And, and so part of that is like one of the initiatives is the Urban Fresh Food Collective. And Cote is a part of that. And that's literally they started like a little farm in the neighborhood in Seattle where they share food. And if you go on their website, there's two buttons you can click. You can click the I have resources to give and help or I need resources. Like there's this is that's such a great example of how they work together to help each other. And so I, I could say so much more about Cote, um, but I want I want her to share, you know, in the interview that we're going to hear. Uh, but I think the last thing that's important to say is that she is now planting a church in the neighborhood. So after all these years of living in the neighborhood, of really becoming a part of the community, there is this budding congregation, but it's not your typical like let's build a building and they will come kind of experience of church planting. I mean, the vision is that this core team of residents in the community, they, they covenant together. They're, they're nice. doing a, co a common mission, spiritual formation, 
relationship, and they're together discerning God's dreams for the neighborhood. And so they're really setting out to be the church in the neighborhood. And that just sounds very Wesleyan to me, and I love it. And it is an official UMC church plant, but it's just, it's really brilliant, right? So that's a little bit about Cote. I can't wait for everyone to meet her if they haven't already through this interview. But what about you all? As you, as you listen to the interview, what, what did you think? What stood out to you? Well, I love how you just said, you know, they're, they're setting out to be the church because everything that she talked about, she kept using words like rooted in the gospel, rooted in friendship and joy. Like there's this sense in which the very spirit of God is residing in her and in the neighborhood. And she just wants to give it room to flourish and yeah the other thing i the other thing i liked was she talks a lot about how messy this is you know it's not just linear you know it's messy and she even talks about how like you know she was pouring concrete you know i mean literally getting your hands dirty in the mess of community building and it's that really struck me because this past week i literally got a text message from a pastor who said i can't believe i have to help put up folding chairs and tables who didn't want to get into the work of ministry. And yet she's demonstrating this just all in mentality, living there, being there, uh, hands dirty, you know, and loving people. It's amazing. Yeah. And she even talks about it like as this, the very basis of it being in kenosis or self-emptying, right? And so if you're going to walk alongside, there is a self-emptying. Yeah. Well, just her sheer, her courage to name things that are also problematic in the community. It's not like she just comes in and just says, oh, everything's great here. Right. I mean, she speaks to that on sort of the individual level. She's also talking about in the, in the city level, uh, just naming, you know, when you walk alongside, you start to see brokenness as well as as assets. So this has been so fun. Let's listen to Blair's interview with Cote. So welcome, Cote. I'm so glad to have you with us today and talking about uh, neighboring and walking alongside neighbors. So I just want to jump in because you have started uh, an organization, I guess you could say a community neighborhood called Cultivate South Park. I mean, it's more than an organization. It's a community of people and it's based in asset-based community development ideas. So I just want to jump into all of this with you today because we have so much we can learn from you. Uh, So let's start there. What is Cultivate South Park? Let's begin with that. Perfect. So Cultivate South Park is basically an asset-based community development group that that is led by neighbors, residents of South Park, uh, who represent the community. We are a very racially mixed neighborhood. So we have our, our residents represent that tradition of all the groups in this beautiful, beautiful little square mile. And it was incredibly important to to me as a pastor, as somebody who believes in asset-based community development as a as a gospel-rooted way of, 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 of doing work that... Um, that this group should be accountable to the neighborhood. So we basically, you know, after uh, we very organically set up the an ecosystem for people to engage and through friendship grew out of that and through love for each other. And we basically came together around our love for South Park. 
so yeah so we had to wise up a little to uh to to establish a 501c3 and have a board for accountability and all that uh that, that would open doors for for funding for programming but at the root of it is is very a, a deep conviction that we that as neighbors we can make this this neighborhood better more equitable and it's rooted in in friendship and joy and you know, and, and, and a lot of love for each other. So try, try, trying to, I guess I could talk about this for a long time, <laughs> uh, but uh, trying to trying to change the, the narrative of South Park a little bit, because, mm. um, you know, the, the, there are many challenges that South Park has faced. And I feel that there is like the main version of South Park, which is we are effectively a living grant proposal. <laughs> we have so many challenges. You know, we're mm. a red line neighborhood. We have environmental justice issues. We gentrification um, and but there is a subversion of South Park which is we're very civically engaged people care deeply we we rank very highly on neighborliness and we were trying to capture that narrative back to ourselves hey guys we we're resourceful we we have what it takes to start good things and then collaborate with external resources right but but we're good people. We, we can do this. So that's been the work. So I want to dig even deeper into this because I, so you move into South Park. Then we're in Seattle, by the way. I probably should, we'll, we'll include that in the intro. We're in Seattle we're in area, Seattle. right? Yes. That's where yes. South Park is. Yes. Uh, and so you move in to this area, you start to get to know neighbors, listen to them. And so I have to imagine that a big part of asset-based community development is establishment of trust between Ooh, people. Yes. So can you talk a little bit about that, of how you even begin to build these relationships and to build trust that ultimately allows diverse groups to work together? Yeah. I'm, I'm laughing because I was so naive when I first moved to South Park. You know, I, again, I had been to, you know, CCDA, Christian Community Development Association, you know, read all the right books, <laughs> whatever. So here I come. And, and, and to give you some perspective, I've lived in the States for like 15 years. So half of that time it's been in South Park. So first we were in North Seattle and then I felt a little bit like a fish out of the water there. And then we found this neighborhood that is a neighborhood of immigrants. It's a, it has so many, many challenges. So, oh my gosh, this neighborhood is great. And it seemed ripe for a faith community because we didn't really have, there wasn't like a faith community focused on the neighborhood. And mm -hmm. in my faith community, we take love your neighbor very literally. So when Tim and I first moved to the neighborhood, we basically wanted to submit ourselves to the neighborhood. See, okay, we recognize that God is already in the move here in South Park. Many church planters enter neighborhoods by saying, and I quote, we're going to bring Jesus into this neighborhood without realizing that or even even wondering if Jesus was already there. <laughs> so we 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 were cautious in that sense, you know, that God is already here. So what is God up to? And um, and we submit ourselves to the life of this neighborhood. So our, our kids go to school here. We you know we 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 just we just were living here. We're accountable. But also, I was very naive in the sense of that I thought I was going to come in and have these beautiful projects, and people were going to love it. But I did skip the whole trust building process. So I moved very quickly. And of course, I found resistance from the, mm -hmm. from the leadership here. As, as in like, oh, you seem nice, but who are you? 
<laughs> and um and yeah i mean it, it was messy so i think that listeners have to <laughs> we have to recognize that the work in the neighborhood is very messy it sounds beautiful because it is but it's also very messy so when i first came into south park i think i i, I stepped on some toes without wanting to and mm -hmm. that created uh that created some frictions that are that you know it's taking years to to repair <laughs> but then that is the beauty of commitment to a place because seven years later people have seen that oh no she 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 meant it you know mm -hmm. uh, oh she was for real we, we can see we can see that there is consistency we can see there is consistent care we can yeah. so that is how uh, build uh, trust is built throughout years of people getting to know you yeah. and seeing all of you in the neighborhood <laughs> for better or for worse <laughs> yeah. and i i love that idea of what you said was we submitted ourselves to the neighborhood yeah. which i mean you were all in with living a life there going to school there getting involved with all kinds of, I'm sure, community groups, and that's a way to meet people. And so, yeah, I hear what you're saying is like when people realize that you are here to stay and you're investing in so many different ways, and that helps to build trust and relationship. And, yes. and one of the ways that you've invested literally is through a coffee shop. Yes. Uh, so tell me about that. Tell me about how that got started. So when we first moved to the neighborhood, Tim and I copied an idea from a, another neighbor from the past to host what is called soup nights. And so every Wednesday we would make soup and we would invite anybody who lived in South Park. That was all you needed to do to come to soup night, just live in South Park. I kid you not that if you did not live in South Park, I would not talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, uh, but if you lived in South Park and I didn't know you, oh my gosh, welcome. Right. Focus is important in this, by the way, I, I gotta say that it's very important to, to, because there are so many things that are, are competing for our attention. So the commitment to, no, we're about this place and we're about anybody, everybody who lives in this place. So uh, soup, soup night, anybody would come, they would bring a spoon because we didn't have enough spoons. And out of just doing that without an agenda every week, a lot of different people started coming. And sometimes it would be a lot of people, especially in the summers, Sometimes it would be very little, very few. It would be different. There would be some overlap. But two to three years in, a lot of conversations had happened. So our friend, uh, our common friend, Diamond Harjis says that parties are very important because mm -hmm. that's when people tell the truth, when they're <laughs> partying together. Wow. So we yeah. had a lot of truth telling throughout those parties. And it became evident that there was an appetite in the neighborhood to have a place that we could tell, take our kids to, a place where freelancers could have meetings. Another thing about South Park that it might be worth saying is that the downtown area, the downtown core, didn't or hasn't really told the story of who we are, if you look at it. Mm. Uh, we're like the youngest neighborhood in Seattle. Nothing in the built environment will tell you that. <laughs> uh, and we didn't really have places to connect at all, as in like public spaces. People would hang out in each other's homes, which is great about South Park. But, but yeah, like, hey, I have a meeting. Where can we have a meeting? <laughs> so at some point in 2016, uh, I was just, we're, we're having a, a gathering like soup night where people are on the table. Well, the first thing I did when I moved into the house was to build a seven foot long table. <laughs> Still there. 
Um, and so around this seven foot long table, there were uh, people sitting and, and it hit me like lighting. I kid you not. It was, and it, it may sound a little uh, self-indulgent, um, but this is what I heard. I'm standing in my truth. <laughs> um, it hit me like lighting. It, it seemed as God was saying, hey, Cote, I need, I want you to open our, uh, open a space from where you can mother the neighborhood. Mm. And I thought like, whoa, all right. <laughs> uh, so that seems like, a, you know, this space that people have been talking about. A coffee shop seems very uh, low hanging fruit for that. So um, I looked around the table and I realized, well, we have everything we need to make this happen right here. Through conversations, you learn that people have similar visions, that people would have funding to, to give. You know, like, so you, you, you never know when you're talking to a trust fund baby. <laughs> we had one of them. Right. <laughs> they yeah. said, like, hey, yeah, we'll put 20% down of how much ever that is. Like, whoa. Wow. Because they too were committed to the neighborhood. They were Christians in the neighborhood committed to the neighborhood. And there was trust, right? We've been breaking bread for a long time now. There was, uh, you know, Mateo, he's like our, 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 hand, our neighborhood handyman. Every, every house in the, neighbor, in the neighborhood has had Mateo do something. <laughs> uh, Mateo was like, yes, I'll, I'll help with construction. Awesome. Some other friends, Malik and Jessica, a beautiful family, they were like, they're both architects. They were like, we really want this to happen. We'll provide the, the plans. And so, yeah, we had, so that, that's, how do, you, how do you recognize assets in the neighborhood? You just hang out with people and listen a lot and start sharing conversations and start being vulnerable. People knew that this was something important to me hey, mm. we should make this happen. And people, now we knew each other because again, we've been breaking bread every week for a few years now. Um, we've been to each other's homes. Tim and I had a terrible accident uh, four years ago and people were like there for us. They saw us at, us, at our most vulnerable, you know? So it, we have some history now, right? So it's like, hey, let's, let's make this coffee shop happen. And in Seattle, I don't know if you know around the country that Seattle's real estate market is insane. So being able mm -hmm. to rent a commercial place, you need a lot of money for that. So when I started talking to the, about the coffee shop to other people, they were saying, <laughs> how cute. <laughs> and do you have money for that? Mm. And I'll be like, and that bluffed my way. <laughs> I took to the landlords going like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, when I open a coffee shop. <laughs> But but the truth is that I got to midwife this coffee shop just by leveraging and connecting people in the neighborhood who wanted to see it happen. Wow. And we did it for half the budget and half the timeline. <laughs> it was all relationships. And every day, every, so uh, also another thing about Seattle, it's impossible to find a contractor. There are real divas here because, mm. you know, there is a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> so no one would take the project. Oh, is it commercial? No, I'm not going to take that. Like, okay. Mm. So I had to become the contractor. Wow. Uh, so Mateo, our, our manager, Shizuna Winkup, and I built the whole thing because we were given a cave with a hole on the ground for sewage. Mm. So we built the whole thing. We, I learned framing, drywalling, how to pour concrete, all sorts of things. And, uh, and every day, and, and this, was, this is why while I was recovering from a terrible car crash accident, 
Mm. And um, so sometimes my back was hurting, right? But I'm doing it. And as I'm like finding like super, um, like I'm feeling very overwhelmed and like, oh my gosh, I can't do this. Somebody would show up like very timely, like, oh, I'll bring my guys tomorrow to pour that concrete for you. <laughs> like, thank you so much. <laughs> like, or when things were really hard, whatever, somebody would come, a neighbor would come and say like, I just came to tell you the neighborhood can't wait for you to open this place. That old man is such a treasure. Uh, People would come just to cheer us on. It was so great. (laughs) And then we opened in 2018 and we've been successful. Wow. I I love that story for so many reasons. uh, And I'll try to articulate a few of them. But one of them is just, I mean, what I hear from you, and and this is one of the things that I just, every time I'm around you, Kote, it's inspiring, but you have such an openness to partnership, to relationship, to, and what I would say, the Holy Spirit at work, like you just are so willing to go where the Spirit leads. And, And there's a sense of absolutely, you know what you're doing. And you're willing to give up a certain level of control to invite other people in and other people into leadership. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, of, of what, how does it, how does it work to do that? I mean, to, to invite people into very vulnerably, as you said, and to navigate all these things in the neighborhood. Cause I, I think that's one of the hardest things for us to do is give up control and share our vision with others. I'm going to get a little, th- a little, um, theoretical here, a little academic. (laughs) But years ago, I had the the opportunity to read this essay that was incredibly influential to me. This is from a theologian called Sarah Cockley in in England. She she was wrestling with the question of, let me back up. I was wrestling with the question of how change happens. What, you know, how, how do you, how do you transform the world to the image of God, right? How do you, how do you do that? And, you know, of course, social justice is a big thing, right? It's a big way to, to bring about the kingdom, but it seemed incomplete to me. And I ran into this, this essay from Sarah Cockley where she, this is from the nineties. So I think it's representative of where the conversation was back then, but she says, Hey guys, we are already aware of what are the contributions of feminism to Christianity. But what is the contribution of Christianity to feminism? And if you were to replace feminism with social justice, equality, social transformation, so what is the contribution of Christianity to the world today? Which is an incredibly important question, because I think as Christians, we have lost confidence in our gospel and we are always seeking the new trend outside of the church. We have caved in, to, I think in the 80s and the 90s, we caved into capitalism and started like just marketing, Let, let's do an attractional product, a great product that people can come consume, right? We always give in. We give in to patriarchy, which is like not a Christian thing. It was a Roman thing um, <laughs> throughout the ages. Anyway, uh, but so what is our contribution to the world? And Sarah Cockley said that, our contribution to the world was uh, this concept of kenosis, which is basically the self-emptying of Jesus, the Jesus giving out his, giving away his power on behalf of all of us, like giving your life on, on behalf of your friends, right? So she says that there is a paradox, in, that there is a power in vulnerability paradox. There is power in being vulnerable. There is power in giving out power. And after having been for well over a decade engaged in social justice, activism, all that, 
I could see that the power struggles were still hurting the movement. There wasn't a, like a spiritual rootedness there that would actually lead to liberating systems. So it resonated with me a lot about how are we affecting change? Uh, also, I was very impacted by stories of, of the poor, stories of poor farmers in Central America who had been, whose villages had been ravaged by war. I also worked for years at the Northwest Detention Center in Tacoma where um, undocumented immigrants are taken in, in prison for profit, which is a very complex issue that we don't have time to get into right now. But let it be said, these are people who are oppressed. And I was really struck by the fact that they were so vulnerable and in their vulnerability, they were seeking out God. They were seeking out Jesus. And mm. the spirit was showing up for them. Those two things really impacted the way I work. Being able to make myself vulnerable became a practice, an everyday practice. Giving out control is a way for me to become vulnerable. Checking, checking how am I wanting to keep control every day in the work in the neighborhood is a way that I keep myself accountable. Hey, I feel very strongly about doing this this way. Why? <laughs> you know, uh, I, I keep checking within myself. I also come up from a rather Pentecostal background just because I'm Latin America <laughs> and that's who we are. Um, I believe that the spirit is at work today, every day. And I grew up with this notion that God's way is always more fun and better than my way. There is this playfulness around giving up power and giving up control. And it's, it's, I, I, I equate it to a bungee jump from, you know, when you jump off a bridge, but you are secure by this cord, yeah. you experience it as if like, oh my gosh, I'm falling. But you know that at the end you're, you're, you're well connected, right? Mm. So it's a little bit like that. It's like, hey, well, I'm going to take this risk because I know that at the end, God is holding me and God is holding all of us. This other person might be a headache right now. But I need to believe that God also cares about this person, <laughs> you mm. know, and we're going to get through this together. I don't have more authority than this person. She doesn't have more authority than me. We're both children of God, right? So this notion <laughs> that God is holding it all together allows me to let go mm. and have fun. Because, <laughs> yeah, I, I just, I just, I believe that God wants me to have a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> It's been true. Yes, <laughs> I've had a lot of fun. <laughs> and that is such, uh, it's it's that joy that just uh, like being around you, it, it, it's, I mean, I, we're, we're sitting here listening and it's like, it's so inspiring. It's infectious oh. joy is. And I think I that is- I hope so, right? Spirit joy. <laughs> yes, it, it really is. <laughs> Thinking about joy and and how, you know, when you bring people together, and you invite people to be themselves and there's a, a mutual sort of pouring out and a mutual infilling of each other, right? Of the spirit, like kind of this uh, kenosis, like you said, and this willingness to be vulnerable. There is an energy that happens. And then there's this, these, you know, people start dreaming dreams and having visions. Oh yeah. And, and it's beyond anything you could have come up with yourself, that there is yes. this kind of holy kingdom of God envisioning experience. And so I think I think you've experienced that. I would love to hear about what are some of the visions that you and your neighborhood are experiencing and, and catch us up on all of that. 
it's really it's really impactful because when you have a group of people focused on the following question, which is also something we practice from our faith community, what are God's dreams for this neighborhood? That is where we start. And if you think about God's dreams, they gotta be big. They're God's dreams. <laughs> and also, may I say this this is grounded in a practice of vulnerability, right? What is God up to and and self-examination, right? Because that 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 word, what is God up to in the neighborhood, can get messy really quickly if we're not grounded in self-examination. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's it. That's, I need to say that. Uh, <laughs> but um, yeah, I feel that, uh, you know, Jesus said when, when two or more are together in my name, I'm, I'm there. And I think that we are tapping into something when we get together and uh, beautiful ideas come. So, oh my gosh, there are visions that are, are moving like... Uh, we want everybody in the neighborhood to have access to fresh, healthy food. We would feed our own children, for example. So when the pandemic happened uh, and a lot of um, food started to be poured into poor communities like ours, we were looking into, okay, this, this, this canned thing is not going to fly. We need to find something better. We looked at our neighborhood, which is considered a food desert, or a food apartheid, some other people have called it, hmm. and realized that, hey, we have the biggest farm, urban farm in Seattle. <laughs> so that's not a food desert to me. <laughs> there is need. I'm just saying like, hey, it's kingdom economics. We have the, the largest food supply for food banks in our neighborhood, Food Lifeline. They just didn't have a, an agency to partner with. So it's like, hmm. okay, we're it. Uh, and we have incredible organizers, people, members from that community who were experiencing hunger and who are great organizers and know the community in our midst. So, okay, mm. we're going to research those people. And not, not me, you know, not the board. We're going to resource, resource pay those people to organize and mm. to connect. And, oh, my gosh, that has led into our neighborhood. There are some articles written about this. Our neighborhood, the poorest neighborhood in Seattle, was not hungry during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And they had culturally relevant food. They had what they needed to their children because Monica Perez, who is our, 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 our amazing woman, <laughs> we call her the chingona. <laughs> she was on the move every day connecting people. And we were like, hey, Monica, what do you need? Do you need this? Okay, let's do this. Hey, Monica, what do you need? Do you need that? How can we help? How can we help? We connected everybody. Mm-hmm. That, I think, was a kingdom, mm-hmm. a kingdom expression. And then I think this is what you're asking me about, Blair. So I was walking around. Are you asking me about the highway right now? Yes, I was hoping you would talk about the highway. <laughs> I can tell you about the highway. Yes, yes, I can tell you totally about the highway because I also believe that is a similar one to the one for Resistencia Coffee when God said, like, I want you to open a space from where to mother the neighborhood. And I, I left this out, also heard, and don't worry about the money. Mm. <laughs> that was part of it. Uh, so wow. I had a similar experience a couple of years ago. Uh, my friend Casey James, who works at the Office of Planning Community Development in the city of Seattle, she was she was gathering people to walk around the neighborhood, see changes, whatever. So I'm in this little group. We're walking around, and you know, as a as a redlined neighborhood, there is a highway cutting our neighborhood in two, and uh, and the highway goes nowhere. Like it's a super redundant highway, and terrible. And that highway goes alongside every place where kids play. Mm. It goes next to the community center playground, Mm. the elementary school, the skate park, 
the library. Insane, right? Yeah. <laughs> so we're working, and they've been groups that have been working on mitigation. Like, let's activate the road that goes right next to the highway so that so there is not so much crime, the kids are safe, all that. So that's called the scary trail. So we're walking around the scary trail and talking about the highway and all that and the pollution and all the things. And I look around my group and go, hey, guys, you'll realize that all these problems would be solved if we just shut the highway, right? They all looked at me with the same expression that people looked at me when I was talking about the coffee shop. They were like, <laughs> cute, <laughs> move on. And But I kept... I kept at it. I kept talking about it to the to the point that I made the, the the guy from the Washington Department of Transportation, Washington State Department of Transportation. He got he got annoyed. He was like, <laughs> "We we got to the we got to the community center and we're talking about the pollution levels." I'm like, "Yes, who builds a no?" He says he has a <laughs> who builds a community center next to a highway. I'm like, "No, who builds a highway next to a community center?" Mm -hmm. And um and and anyway. That stayed with me. I mentioned it to Casey and we're like, yo, let's let's work on removing this highway. And that would free up 40 acres for equitable development. Right now, mm. our neighborhood is a land grab. It's gentrifying, right? People are being kicked out of the neighborhood. If we shut this highway and reclaim this land for housing and other mm. amenities that tell the story of who we are, that would be incredible. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, that's a crazy dream, right? But again, like I thought, okay, this would take like 20 years really, but I'm here. I'm here for mm -hmm. it. I'm committed, right? Again, importance of committing to a place. And, and again, church people, the, the secret weapon we have is that we don't really have a particular agenda. So for example, this is how we're different from nonprofits. So if you set up a nonprofit for environmental justice, that's all you're talking about. Mm. For immigrant justice, that's all you're talking about. But when you engage a community, you have an in intersection of issues, right? Affecting <laughs> a community. A pastor, clergy, and people of faith care because, you know, we're the only institution that cares about problems that are not our own. <laughs> like, we, and, and we have resources. Mm. You know, we, 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 we have the Holy Spirit. We have institutional resources. Mm -hmm. We have institutional funding. We are a network of millions of people around the world. <laughs> we we have uh, we have everything we need, really. So uh, I love this book from Eldon. What's his name? Name. Um, we aren't broke. <laughs> Looking at our yeah. assets. As, I, as, yes, as, just came as, out as right. That, yeah, that's yeah, Mark's yeah. book. Yeah, Mark Eldon. Yes, I love that guy. Great. Um, if you're listening, <laughs> yes. I love you. <laughs> Um, and, uh, yeah, like he's like, we aren't broke. Let's look at what we have. So mm -hmm. I think we lose perspective sometimes of how many resources uh, we have and how impactful we can be in the world. So I know we're closing right now. So I just just want to leave you with this. That I, I feel that our societies are hurting a lot right now, right now, because as faith communities, we have checked out. Mm. We're so worried about our declining numbers. And I get it. I get it. There's a, there's a thing about survival. We, we, we feel stressed out about that. All, all, all civic institutions are erode, er, eroding right now. Like we're not, we're not alone in that. 
But again, our gospel is the gospel of si se puede. Our gospel is the gospel of yes, we can. That, that's our definition of resistencia, for, for resistencia coffee, the word for resistance in Spanish, which actually is rooted in liberation theology. It's a community coming together, standing up against adversity with relentless hope. That's the gospel. That's the only mm -hmm. that's the only way we can have that's the only reason why we can have relentless hope because of the gospel. And I don't know any other institution that can have relentless hope. <laughs> so <laughs> so so that's that's a big asset that we have. And we all have it and we can all tap into it. A picture, and if you're feeling a little discouraged right now, uh, listeners, <laughs> think about this as being on a, on, a, on a beach that you can surf at. God is on the move all the time. There are great waves to, sur to surf all the time. It's, <laughs> it's up to you to miss them. <laughs> you can always grab a surfboard and tap into the right wave and see beautiful things happen. So are we paying, are, Jesus said, give us eyes to see. Are mm. we looking at our communities with the eyes to see? Are we listening with the ears to hear? The, I don't know. Jesus is just full of, full of richness for us to, 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 to learn how to do this well. And, and, and it's not glamorous. It's not the kind of thing that will give you a mega church. It's not the kind of thing that will give you uh, awards. Mm. <laughs> But but it, but it's gonna keep you alive, mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, and and I think that that alone right now uh, for our churches in decline, it's 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 great. <laughs> uh, and um, anyway, so it's it's just it, yeah. That I think that that is a path. That that is one path to to transformation of neighborhoods. <laughs> well, I, I love uh, what you're saying about, you know, give us the eyes to see, because I really feel like, Cote, you are someone that helps us to see more clearly. So I just, I thank you for that because it's, for example, you're helping us to see when we talk about asset-based community development, it, it, like what you said over and over is we have everything we need right here. We have it right here, but can we see each other? Can we see the gifts in each other? And can we work together to bring God's vision to fruition? So um, so thank you for seeing and inspiring us to see and sharing with us, gosh, not just inspiration, but very practically how we go about being better neighbors and working together for the kingdom. So bless you, Kote. You are such a blessing. Thanks for talking with us today. Bless you too. Thank you so much for inviting me. Igniting Imagination is a production of the Leadership Ministry Team at Wesleyan Investive and Texas Methodist Foundation with excellent editing support from Truthwork Media. The beautiful music in our episode is from Mark Miller. For more information about Mark, visit his website at markamillermusic.com and find his music on YouTube. Check out our show notes and website for more information about all our guests and how you can follow them. I'm Blair Thompson-White, and from all of us at Leadership Ministry, thanks for listening. 